I'm assuming that if you're the CEO of a successful company, if you're like Bill Gates, you're not spending a lot of time feeling bad about the fact that you haven't emptied the dishwasher because somebody else is doing it for you, right? He set his life up in a way that he doesn't have to worry about all this stuff. He doesn't care about it. And there's probably other things he still sucks at, but doesn't care about because it's like you accept the fact that you are a whole being who is phenomenal at things and you have these superpowers, but you also have a lot of these things that you suck at, but that's okay. Like they don't cancel each other out. Welcome to the ADHD Lounge Podcast. Whether you are someone with ADHD or a learning disability or just curious to learn more, come hang out with us in our lounge. I'm Alex. I'm a mom, a New Yorker, a Mets fan, a yogi, and a brunch enthusiast. I also happen to be diagnosed with dyslexia and ADHD at the age of eight. I'm the founder of Capable Consulting, a coaching and consulting business that supports adults with learning disabilities and or ADHD. And I'm Katie, an ADHD advocate, coach, mom, author, founder of Women in ADHD, and I host the popular Women in ADHD podcast. I was diagnosed with ADHD at the age of 45, and now I have made it my mission to help neurodivergent adults learn to love their brains. In each episode, we'll be diving deep into the world of ADHD, discussing unique challenges, sharing our personal stories, providing support and resources, and bringing in experts to help us along the way. You can also find the two of us over at the ADHDlounge.com, an all-in-one ADHD coaching community for personalized guidance, goal planning, skill building, expert roundtables, and so much more to help you make the most of your amazing brain and live life to the fullest. So grab your favorite drink, maybe a croissant, grab a seat, or start walking or cleaning or however you choose to listen, because at the ADHD Lounge, you can come exactly as you are. All right, we are back. And this week, it's just Alex and I, we're going to be recapping some of the conversation from the last episode with Brie and Andy, where we discussed self compassion and reframing our ADHD. So we're going to sort of reflect a little bit on that conversation, but also uh, share some of our own perspectives, our own personal experiences, and some of the experiences that we've had with our coaching clients, right? Yeah, and if you didn't get a chance to listen to that episode, you should go back and listen to that episode first because it'll help digest some of this. And if you don't have time, come just come hang out with us because it's always an interesting conversation. <laughs> Before we hit record, we were talking a little bit about our diagnoses because I wasn't diagnosed until well into adulthood, whereas Alex was diagnosed as a child. And so I'm always fascinated to see how diagnoses allow us to to change our view of ourselves because i i felt like for me the diagnosis in adulthood was so radically transformative in terms of how i viewed myself um and no, you know not looking at myself as a failure not looking at myself as always doing things wrong like really for the first time in my life it was an opportunity for me to start embracing my strengths but i'm curious like alex as somebody who was diagnosed as a child when you hear somebody say that does that sound familiar yeah it's really different because i i was actually just talking about this on a different podcast that i was diagnosed at 8 and if you'd ask me i just my core memory is just being different, being pulled out of class. But I didn't realize how much anxiety I was showing of, of how much awareness I was showing that I was different until my parents were cleaning out some of our, our home and we had all this paperwork 
from my diagnosis and I was reading through it and I was describing such intense anxiety of being different and being someone who I knew I was smart, but I kept being called stupid and I didn't want people to see me as stupid. So I was always othered. Like from the moment I can remember in school, I was always othered and I hated that. I hated being called out. I hated being poked at and prodded at in terms of like some teachers. I mean, not all teachers were like that, but I always had this awareness that I was different. I don't know. What, what would you ask in terms of of that? Because I had to, I always had to have a different perspective of myself and my worthiness and my confidence. I don't know. Well, it's interesting because now, you know, I've had this conversation with my husband when my kids were getting diagnosed because they were both diagnosed after me. And he was really worried about the label of ADHD, right? Which was like, do we come out? Do we do we tell the teachers? Do we get 504s? All of that. And he's really worried about it because he's, you know, you know, understandably worried about, you know, how they would be treated differently. And are their teachers going to treat them like they are dumb because they've got this diagnosis? And And I was sort of like, you know, from my perspective, I was like, I used to always say, like, they're going to get labeled no matter what, right? I was labeled lazy. I was labeled disorganized. I was labeled all those things. So it really was this othering, like you talk about, that happens in childhood that I think, you know, creates this sense of of anxiety, the sense of of lack of confidence. Like, But I'm like, how do we raise our kids? <laughs> Maybe this is going to become a parenting episode but I'm sort of like what would you do differently like what would you say what is the right way to help a child feel you know that they are are amazing right like right you know it's so funny I as you're saying that it reminds me you and I did a live what feels like forever ago and I think this exact topic came up so if anyone really wants to go into a hyperfixation mode of, of digging into our social media, you can find us. I still have that. So I'll put a link to it in the show notes. Oh, we should. You know what? Actually, I think it's on my website too. So we, we discussed it. I wonder if it would be aligned if I would say the same thing, you know, year, a year later and having a daughter. I actually just watched a TikTok recently that I was overwhelmed with emotion of how this dad was talking about how his six-year-old daughter made the swim team when all of the girls, I have, I don't know who the creator is. I'd have to find it. Um, where his six-year-old daughter made the swim team and everyone else in the team was like eight, nine years old. And he was saying he was so overwhelmed by emotion for it. And he had to really pick wisely what he was going to say because his daughter was sitting in the back and said, are you proud of me for making the team? And he was like, I wanted to make sure that I told her I was proud of her for the effort that she took to get to where she was, not about the final reward of making the team. And I thought that was so beautiful because as a kid who never was rewarded for my efforts, who was never seen for someone who had all these strengths because it didn't end in the results that everyone expected, that was so powerful to me. And I think that that would be how I would approach this of understanding how much effort it took. I think Simone Biles, you know, everyone talked about her strength and her gold medal moments. And I am 
where my hyperfixation goes. I love watching gymnastics. I've been following her career since she was like a junior elite. This is where I dork out. But I've watched her career. I've watched all of those moments before she became who she was. And it's like nobody was celebrating all the falls. They only celebrated what she won. And I think that that's how I would really approach it. You have to build on these very, very small moments to get to something big. And if you broke someone down at the beginning, they're never going to get to those moments. Yeah, that's a really good point. Uh, and, and it also, you know, highlights how weird and um, polarized the conversation was when she pulled out of the Olympics, right, for her for her mental health, where people were like, how dare you? Uh, you know, suck it up, stiff up her lip, all of that stuff. This is what makes a champion is pushing through versus the other half of people who were like, no, 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 that's really good. Good for you. You're a role model for our children, et cetera. Like, <laughs> take care of your mental health. Right. I never found those aggressive approaches to be helpful because as someone who's anxious, who is yelled at all the time, not once did that motivate me to do better. In fact, it just made me more weary of when I was going to make a mistake, which was a lot. I made mistakes all the time. And I I even had, so I'm going to say this, and I promise I'm not a huge dork, although I'm making myself sound quite like a dork. Music in my, in my high school was a very, very big deal. The most popular kids in my high school were part of music. It was just, that was the thing. So I play the drums. I'm learning so much about you today, Alex. <laughs> You're learning so much about me. Yes. This was something I, I've been playing since I was five. And my brother played the drums and he taught me how to play at first. And I quickly became much better than him. And he would probably even admit that if he's listening, that I was much better than him. And so I found music in school to be my safe place. The thing that I could reframe no matter what I was not doing well in in school, I had music and I was so much better. I was so much better than a lot of the other boys in my section. I was the leader of my section always. And I had this one band teacher, it was in middle school, and he kept yelling at me because I kept making the same mistake. And he would do it in front of the entire class and just yelling at me. And I felt so defeated to pick up whatever we were doing in the next song, because I was like, am I going to be yelled at for this one thing that I'm good at? I no longer have that. That sucks. That sucks. And I, I remember saying this to friends growing up is that I wanted to find ways to help kids find support for all the strengths that they had. Because in the end, at the end of the day, whether I was good at math or not, which I am not, that wasn't going to matter in my lifetime. There's calculators. And by the way, we have calculators in our phones that we take in our pockets, like all the places. But the skills that I was learning through everything else was going to be the part that mattered. So I wanted to find ways to build up confidence outside of academia. At some point when you were talking, I was reminded of, of the conversation with Bree and Andy, where we were talking about like signals in our body or signals to us to know that we're we need to like pivot right um i don't know what i was thinking 
trying to remember what reminded me of it. Because I was like, I, I just wrote down in my notes, I was like, try harder versus work smarter, right? And that idea of like, trying harder is never the solution. Like I kind of have learned that when I, when I talk about reframing my ADHD, that's one thing where I've really is, has, have had to drill home to myself, which is like, frustration is an indication that something's not working. And this idea of like, I just have to keep at it. I just have to try harder is never going to work for us. Like you just need to throw that out the window and you have to like work smarter, but so cliche, right? It's so cliche, but I was also making me think as I'm like going back to this band reference of like practice makes perfect. You're not perfect. And you can play as best as you can, but you could practice all you want and you're still going to be the best version of yourself. And that's the part that matters. And like, I, I remember saying that to like one of my band teachers and he was like, who do you think you are to say like, you can't be better? I'm like, I'm the best version of me. <laughs> there should be something of like more than okay with that. I don't know if that's like totally corny, but I feel like it was worth sharing to be, you don't, you don't necessarily have to be perfect. Nobody's perfect. It's funny because with musical instruments, it's really fascinating to me because I, you know, I practice piano and um, I played for many years, always hated it, always hated practicing. So I only got so far and then I gave it up because it was, you know, I just hated the practicing. And my parents were like, all right, fine. So as an adult, I kind of wished that my parents had been a little more strict about practicing and really kind of forced me to because I felt like, you know, I'll never be good at anything because I give up before I really get to that point of really trying hard. But then also realizing, no, there's lots of things I'm good at when I'm when I have that innate drive. And so I'm like, where does it at what point do you need to push through that natural ADHD hyperfocus to say, like, I have to be consistent at this. Otherwise, it's not going to, you know, I don't want to dump everything halfway through because then I sort of, it does affect your self-concept, right? It does affect your self-concept. Like people talk about hobbies, like, oh, I, I drop everything. I never follow through on things. What's the magic way to follow through when you no longer want to do something? I think it kind of goes back to our conversation with Andy and Bree because you kind of have to get back to the core of why are you not finishing it? Where is the wound that you didn't have interest in the piano anymore? Is it because you were no longer quote unquote good at it and you were no longer getting the success? Is, is there something you were afraid of? Is it no longer fun? Like where, where is it that is stopping you from sitting back down? And I think that when we can address those head on, it makes it a lot easier to approach. I was, I was talking about this with a client last week. It was like, we've created all of these processes to help us succeed, but something's getting lost in translation. So what is it? And only really, you know what it is. Well, and also talking about like looking at these situations from a more objective point of view. That's the other thing I always talk about with my clients, which is like, how can we kind of remove ourselves from the emotional charge and look at this and say, what is this information that, that is being given to me? What can I do with this information? What would I do differently, et cetera, right? So like with practicing... Now, what I know about ADHD, what I hated about practicing was being alone, right? Like, I really hated being 
just put into the piano room and the door shut and being like, now you have to do your scales over and over and over again by yourself. Like had I had somebody even just in the room with me, knowing what I know now about body doubling and co-working, I probably would have been so much better. And so, but nobody, you know, that wasn't, didn't occur to me as a, as a 12 year old and it didn't occur to my parents, but now I'm like, oh, that would have totally helped. So what was my point? I think my point is like, to know that, like you said, like, what is the wound? Like figuring out, looking at it and not saying, oh, I'm a terrible person because I can't practice, but being like, something's missing and we have to figure out what is what is the element that's missing that's going to help you succeed. And that kind of brings me back to like you being diagnosed at 45. You knew all of those pieces were missing. You knew you weren't lazy. You knew you were frustrated, but somewhere along your journey at 45 or like this doesn't make sense anymore. So where, where did you find yourself in a place of something has to change? Something's different. Something's wrong. I don't know. I wouldn't say I, I knew I wasn't lazy. I genuinely thought of myself as a lazy human being. Like I really did. And it's sort of so funny to look at now, uh, to realize like, why, like, I, I don't know how to describe it. Like, I really did think I was, uh, I was fooling everybody. Like, I really felt like I was not a smart person, you know, and I always used to joke on my uh, other podcast of like, I used to always ask my husband, like, why are you with me? I know why I'm with you, but I genuinely didn't know why he was with me. And now I look back and I'm like, what an annoying question to have to answer from the person who you love the most in the world, right? Like the person you've chosen, the person you've lived with for 20 years still is asking you these insecure questions like, oh my God, how annoying. But it was my therapist who I, you know, I would come to her week after week complaining about how I couldn't get my shit together. And I was just like, God, I'm so out of it and depressed and I'm not getting anything done. And I have all these, you know, all these aspirations and things I want to do. And I just feel listless all the time. And she was the one who would mirror back to me and be like, what are you talking about? You've done all these things. You've, you know, written a book, you've got this business. You're at the time I was like the PTA president. Like I was doing, I just, there was always a million things I was doing. Classic ADHD. (laughs) Right. But she was the one who would point that out to me that she was like, your idea of who you are is so radically different from who you actually are, that she was like, that was for her, she was sort of like, you know, that's ADHD. And I didn't think that was ADHD. I had no idea. I was like, I, you know, ADHD is people who can't sit still. So I had no idea that that was even a part of it. I thought I had bipolar. I thought I just had this like, you know, this pendulum of manic energy and then depression and and exhaustion. And so I had no idea when she, that was the first real instance of really evaluating, like, why is my self-concept so radically different from what I'm actually being and doing in the world? And I see that in women all the time now. All of my clients are like that. They come to me and they're like, I'm a hot mess. And I'm like, are you looking like you're actually pretty phenomenal? I know. I always like say that. I I say similar things to my therapist. Like, is it just me or is like everyone have all of these things going on? And she's like, not not like have a lot of things going on. But she's like at the level in which you're doing it, all the things you've just described is like high level shit. Like it's it's like I'm PTA president. I'm running my own business. I'm doing all these things. None of these are like small feats. So you can't be 
stupid <laughs> and be able to do all of those things. You can't, you can't like not be a functioning person and, and be able to do all the things. So how do you like go from saying these things where you're actively believing them because you're saying them to hearing somebody else put them in your lap and say, what are you talking about? And really change your perspective from that. Because I always say, like, it's one thing to intellectually understand, but emotionally catch up. So how do you catch up emotionally to what you intellectually understand, which is that this isn't true? Right? Well, I think a lot of it has to do with just having these conversations more and more. Like, you know, and understanding that we tend when you have ADHD, when you are, you know, have a dopamine seeking brain, you dismiss what is easy for you, because it's literally less interesting, right. And so just to even know that fact to know that, like, I am not going to give anywhere near the amount of airplay or bandwidth to the good stuff, because it's much more interesting and fascinating for me to zero in on the stuff that sucks, the problems, right, the things that aren't working, because those are inherently more interesting. And so I feel like even just acknowledging that that's our tendency is the first step to just be like, yeah, there I am doing that thing again, where I'm focusing on all the shit. And I'm not focusing on on as you know, uh, there's the there's a line from um, Ben Kingsley says, Oh, I don't remember the movie now. But he's like, focus on the dopeness, uh, not the whackness. I think the movie's called the whackness. But he's like this hilarious, uh, like mob boss, drug dealer character. And he's got this like Cockney accent in the the movie. But he's like, we always say that in my house, which is like, let's focus on the dopeness, not the whackness. Um, and, but it's really like, okay, here I am again. So I think that it's just really practicing building that muscle of like, when I am wallowing, when I'm, when I'm in that mindset, which I get into often, because it's kind of my default of everything is terrible, is to just sort of say, okay, yes, there I am going there again. Let's look at what's not terrible right now. Because the reason why you're feeling this way is probably because you're exhausted from all the incredible stuff you're doing, right? Uh, and, And just kind of walking through that process and stepping outside and acknowledging that. Yeah, I feel like there's a level of fake it till you make it. You kind of have to like talk to yourself and say like, these are true. And that's where I think this like, thin line of like toxic positivity comes in when it comes to ADHD or learning disabilities, because you're someone who's constantly seeing all of the negative things about having ADHD. I mean, that's, those are the things that trend on social media of like, oh my God, look at all the things I did wrong because of my ADHD. And then you look at yourself and you're like, well, I do that too. So it must be negative where I kept saying to people how I thought having a learning disability or ADHD was a superpower. And I think that that really alienates a lot of people, but it's very black and white how most people are thinking about it. When you think of a superhero, you think of all of their strengths. The only person who's thinking about their weaknesses is the villain who's trying to take them down. I don't need you to be your own villain. I want you to see your strengths. I want you to feel empowered by the things that you're really good at because there's a lot that you're really good at. And if you have to fake it till you make it and remind yourself of all of these things that I am, I am smart. I am amazing at problem solving. I have these 
great abilities to communicate what my needs are. I am the idea person. I am the energy that is brought to this table. And that is what you are putting out there. That's what people are going to see. So I, I don't think that there's really that much wrong with sharing the fact that you have strengths. Everybody has strengths, but we're the ones who usually are hiding our strengths because we're trying to blend in with the rest of the crowd when we were born to stand out. Well, and I think also kind of just deconstructing the shame we feel around the things that we aren't good at, right? And that's another thing which, you know, like I liked when Brie was using that challenging voice of like, well, who says so, right? And I like that idea because there's a lot of those things where, you know, yeah, I'm I'm terrible at so many things from like, I, you know, my my 12-year-old and I just had a whole conversation the other day about why we hate showering. And <laughs> and we were kind of pulling it together, putting together like, what is it about showering? Is it the transition from dry to wet? Is it all the things you have to do? Is it like, there's so many reasons that many neurodivergents hate showering. And it's like, but then you hate getting out once you're in and all of that stuff. Although being in the shower is quite lovely. It's great. It is, right? But I mean, like, <laughs> like it's, we were just having this very curious, non-judgmental conversation about why we hate showering, but there's shame there because you're like, immediately you're like, people are going to think I'm dirty. You know, like there's so many things, especially conversations around hygiene where you're like, oh, I can't talk about this because people are going to think I'm dirty. So it's like, what if we just acknowledged that there's going to be lots of things we suck at and that's totally fine because we're humans and we're whole beings. And CEOs of companies literally spend zero time, I'm assuming, maybe they don't, but I'm like, I'm assuming that if you're the CEO of a successful company, if you're like Bill Gates, you're not spending a lot of time feeling bad about the fact that you haven't emptied the dishwasher because somebody else is doing it for you, right? Mm -hmm. He set his life up in a way that he doesn't have to worry about all this stuff. He doesn't care about it. And there's probably other things he still sucks at but doesn't care about because it's like you you accept the fact that you are a whole being who is phenomenal at things and you have these superpowers, but you also have a lot of these things that you suck at, but that's okay. Like it, they don't cancel each other out. Like Sari Solden talks about that a lot in her books where she's like, they don't cancel each other out. They coexist and they can coexist in a way that without shame, without judgment for either side. And I just love that idea of just like coming as you are, right? Like that's what we talk about in the ADHD lounge. Come exactly as you are. There's no shame. With no shame. And I, I totally agree with it. It also, <laughs> you're going to laugh. I said this once to one of my clients who was really struggling with cleaning her home. And I said outright, like, do you have the means to be able to hire a clean person once a month, once every other month. And she was like, yeah, you know, I think I do. And I was like, you are stimulating the economy. Like, let's just look at it this way. If you feel really bad that you need it, it's like, no, you were providing somebody else with an income who can do this better with you than you. And like, that's okay. But it makes a world of difference to have a clean home. You know, you and I were having this conversation and if you've listened to the first episode, you know that Katie and I share an amazing assistant. And we were sitting on a meeting yesterday that I swear my eyes were gla like glazing over because there were so many steps that I was like, I'm going to throw up thinking about this. And she's like, I got it. We're good. <laughs> we're, you know, we got everything all together. And I'm like, oh, thank God. Because any job I had before that, when I was the sole person who had to do some of those things, 
I would walk out and think, I don't know what steps are next because I just didn't have the capacity for it. Because not everybody is good at every aspect of their job. Not everyone is good at the like executive functioning tasks. There are people who can't create as well as you can. There are people who can't have as fluid of a conversation as Katie and I without pausing because they have to think. And we're like, our brain's working way too fast. So like, whatever, like we just go. So that's okay. I would, I would like invite you to say, what are you good at? What is coming naturally to you that makes you feel good? And how can you reframe what, how you see that? Right. And not only that, but like, I work with a lot of women who are executives who have a hard time delegating because they feel like if it sucks for them, they don't want to have their assistants do it because they feel bad. Like they don't want to give their assistants sucky things. And I'm like, okay, first of all, (laughs) like, uh, you're paying them, that's their job. But also like, yeah, like exactly like you said, like, Doing the stuff that sucks takes away your magic. It takes away time from what you're good at. It's soul-sucking. So as soon as you can, get somebody else to do it. And obviously, you know, that's not always going to work if you're a parent, uh, especially if you have young kids, right? Like, there's a lot of stuff that is soul-sucking that you can't get other people to do. But it's really like... If you can't get somebody else to do it, then can you get somebody to do it with you, right? Like, just acknowledging that you don't have to be the one to do this because it's terrible. I don't know if that was, I don't, I feel like I lost my point along the way somewhere, but, (laughs) but just this idea of like allowing people to help you and also like get rid of the stuff that takes away from your essence and and the stuff you love, because it really, it's drags you down. I also think there's something about asking for help. And we kind of talked about this too, that, you know, people feel ashamed to ask for help. And I remember, um, I was telling the story. I can't remember who I was telling this to because short-term memory, not so great. Long-term memory, amazing if you ask any one of my friends. But my friends growing up were and are some of the smartest people you'll ever meet. They're doctors, lawyers, just super impressive and graduated like top of our class. And one of them who went to an Ivy League school came home from freshman year and she said, I am so jealous of you. And I was like, I'm sorry, what? You know, top of the class, like, what do you mean you're jealous of me? She goes, I did not know how to study. I didn't know how to ask for help. I didn't know where resources were. I was never in a place where I didn't understand something. And she said, you've been doing that since you were eight. She was like, the ease in which you ask for help is so vastly different than most people I know. And I didn't, think about it until she said it but I was like I had to stop in the moment of she's jealous of me because I knew how to ask for help like that was really powerful to sit with and think about the fact that what she saw as my as my strength was the ability to know that I couldn't do anything from interviewing women on the uh, women in ADHD podcast that was one of the biggest differences I noticed early on in terms of self-concept with women who were diagnosed with ADHD in adulthood was women who, even if they weren't diagnosed with ADHD in childhood, were diagnosed with a learning disability like dyslexia or dysgraphia. 
because that was instilled at a very young age that it's not just an issue of try harder. It's not an issue of you are the problem, that there is a, there is help and you need support and you need to figure out, you know, what works for you. And just that alone, that understanding that I am not the problem um, is, I think, so formative at such a young age. Oh, you're giving me goosebumps. Um, but you're right. It's this idea of like, asking for help is huge. And and even when you're talking about the housekeeper, right? Like I've had worked with women too, who have to give me this long list of why they have a housekeeper. So they're like, Oh, I have to have a housekeeper because I have a full-time job and I have two dogs and I, you know, my, my husband's disabled. And I'm like, you don't need reasons. <laughs> you don't have to give a long list of reasons. Just hire a housekeeper because you don't like cleaning. Like that's enough. If you can afford it, go for it. I'm also not good at it. Like I, I'm just not. I, I have no interest in it. So it, and I have to say the mental space I have for like having a neatly made bed, like Katie, you could see my bed. It's like kind of made, it's kind of made, but it's not nearly as good as like when my housekeeper does it because she just does it better than me. And that's okay. <laughs> I, I am fully in the place of like, people can do things better than me. I want to be surrounded by people who can do things better than me. And I don't think there's anything wrong with doing that and reframing of, of understanding yourself of you're not perfect, I think is okay to reframe. You don't have to be. There's always going to be someone that's better than you, but there's always going to be someone who looks over at you and says, you are so much better than me at this. And I want you to have that list. I want you to know that there are things about you. That's why I don't think it's that fine line of toxic positivity. I don't think there's anything wrong of seeing yourself in a better light and knowing that you have strengths. Yeah, there's a lot of things that suck. Like, I don't like being overwhelmed. And it happens like a lot. I don't wish that upon anybody. But it doesn't take away from that, that the strength that I bring to the table. Yeah, for sure. I know I, you know, I felt like I spent so much time, especially as a parent to younger kids before my diagnosis, wishing I could do the things my husband was good at, right? Like I always use the example of like, he was really good at like sitting on the floor and playing with my kids for hours. And I hated that. Absolutely hated it. I was the one who had to be like, no, let's go grocery shopping. Let's go out. Let's go to the zoo. Like I was the one who left the house and dragged them everywhere. And I always felt terrible because I didn't just sit and play with them instead of being like, now I'm like, why wasn't I just grateful that he did that? And why didn't I recognize the the value in the things I was doing. Like, I feel like I, I wish I could do it over just because I spent so much time feeling bad for who I was instead of just uh, leaning into who, the kind of parent I was and also having gratitude that there was another human in the room who was doing the things I was bad at, right? Yeah. <laughs> uh, and, you know, and the all the wonderful things about marrying somebody who compliments you, which is like, ah, I just, instead I just decided to like feel terrible that I couldn't also do those things. And now it seems ridiculous to me that I would spend time doing that because now I'm all about like, like you said, like, yeah, sure, I can't do that. But look at what all the things I do bring to the table. Yeah. I mean, you're bringing back to the point that I have a one-year-old. So my, I constantly look at my husband who plays on the floor and I'm like, I'm bored. Yeah. So that's, so leave them to it and go off and do things that are going to like uh, energize you, right? Yeah. Recharge you. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, look, my kid's very entertaining, but um I don't want to sit on the floor and play with cups and blocks for like another hour. She can entertain herself. That's fine. 
But yes, when I was solo parenting over the weekend, I went absolutely everywhere with my daughter. I think I told you this. And she, I went to go grab my diaper bag to like go do something else. And she looked at me and handed the controller to put on Miss Rachel because she was like, no, we're done. We're done. Um, So you know what? Everyone has strengths that they're bringing to the table and it's okay to lean into yours. And that reframe of seeing yourself in a better light, I think is important to get to that root of where that wound is that you're not really healing, that you're trying to mask for because you think somebody else can do it better. It's okay if somebody does something better than you. And community, it's so important, right? Finding people to have these conversations with, to realize, oh my God, I'm not the only one with this. I'm not the only one who experiences this. There's nothing wrong with me. And and being able to see yourself in other phenomenal human beings, I think is really helpful too, to be like, oh, you know, you know, that whole idea of like, talk to yourself like you would to a, to a friend. Um, and that never works for me. <laughs> I say that to people sometimes. and I'm like, I'm rolling my eyes as I'm saying this, like, understand I'm rolling my eyes as I'm saying this, like, I get it. It's weird. But you are so much nicer. I think that's also comes with like, ADHD piece. We're such people pleasers. And we love to make, like build people up. So that the community that we are a part of is like, we are all building each other up and building up our strengths. And there's something really powerful about that. Yeah. And, and just being a member in this phenomenal club, I think, does wonders for our, our self-compassion. We also joke that we always find each other. Like every time Katie and I are working with somebody and they're like, well, I also have ADHD. We're like, yeah, obviously. Um, <laughs> so we find each other. We flock to each other and we share our ins and outs and our quirkiness and our and our hobbies that we've come up with recently that are new and fun i lost my train of thought because obviously (laughs) um i think we i think we covered everything for the for today okay so how do we end it so we don't just like flatline (sighs) (sighs) here's the flatline of the 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 person this is is all going in the episode uh (laughs) Katie and I have been on the phone for like three hours and we're just, oh, okay. Actually, I've joked about that with the uh, the way, how awkward it is to say goodbye, to always be like, there's so much pressure of like, how do we end this? Um, and just be like, okay, that was great. Nice to, okay, goodbye. We'll be in touch. Right? No, that's where you do the fade out. You do the fade out of like the music is slowly killing or, or it's like the ending of, uh, you know, you got your award at the ceremony. It's like, Wrap up. Here we go. I just want to thank this person. Bye. <laughs> the musical equivalent of the of the cane pulling you off stage. Yes, exactly. All right. So we're just going to keep awkwardly talking as as the music fades in and we fade out. And that's how this episode will end. <laughs> <laughs> Honestly. And that's a wrap for this episode of the ADHD Lounge Podcast. Thank you for listening and make sure to join us over at ADHDlounge.com. We've got resources, co-working, workshops, and a community of amazing ADHD folks just like yourself. And you can also attend these recordings live where you can ask questions and join in these discussions as they're happening. So make sure to head over to the ADHDlounge.com to join us today and you can find that link in the show notes. And if you've made it this far and you've enjoyed today's episode, don't forget to subscribe to the podcast and leave us a review. 
Your feedback means the world to us, and it helps us reach more listeners who can benefit from these conversations. Seriously, do it. Go now before you forget.